That's what I need. Uh, well, good morning. My name is Jimmy. It's good to be with you guys here today. It's a great way uh, to connect with you on this American Idol Sunday. I'm super excited about the day. Most of you probably don't really care about that, but I do. Um, and throughout this series, everyone has, uh, every person who has spoke has um, told their fight story. And so I started thinking about mine, and I'm like, you know what, I don't really have a good fight story because I don't like conflict. I run from it, I'll cry and hide in a corner, um, and I, don't, I just don't like fights, and I don't really like people who get into fights. And so I figured, you know what, you know who does like fights? My wife. <laughs> so um, I thought, you know what, let me tell you about our fight story that we had. Uh, my wife, for some reason, she has this feisty fight attitude about her all the time. You may not know it. She looks like this nice, sweet thing. And, and um, well, one day, she just came out of nowhere, and she's like, hey, Jimmy, you want to fight? And I'm like, no, I don't want to fight. What do we need to fight about? She's like, I don't know. Let's just, just kind of want to fight. And I'm like, no, I don't, I don't want to fight. And she's like, oh, okay, whatever. And we'll be driving down the road, and she'll look at me with a grin like, hey, you want to fight? And I'm like, I don't want to fight. We'll be laying in bed at night, midnight, I'm about ready to fall asleep, and she'll shake me. She's like, hey, you want to fight? And I'm like, I don't want to fight. Like, why do you want to fight? And she's like, let's leg wrestle. And I'm like, I'm not going to do that. It's bedtime. <laughs> and one day, I'm standing in the kitchen, probably doing the dishes and cooking this gourmet meal. Um, <laughs> most of you know that's a lie. I don't do that. I'm standing in the kitchen, and all of a sudden she comes walking in, and she's got these boxing gloves on that I used to box with at a gym in town, and she's kind of bouncing around. She's like, you want to fight? And I'm like, babe, I don't want to fight. And so she's like, come on. And she starts jumping around and starts kind of hitting me with these things, and I'm just like, oh, my gosh, what are you doing? So now I'm blocking all these punches, and then she starts doing some kind of like karate kicks and things. And just as her leg went to like kick me pretty hard in the side, I just lifted up my foot, and she kicked my foot really hard, and it hit her shin right there, like extremely hard. And she immediately just goes down to the ground, and she's kind of cuddled up in that baby, you know, oh my gosh, I'm dying kind of fetus look. Fetus look or fetal look? I don't know what you call it. And so I'm just like, oh my gosh. And she starts crying, and we thought that I broke her shin. And she's laying on the floor for like an hour. We almost went to the hospital. Uh, and to this day, she still has a dark area on her shin from like three years ago. And she can't feel, if she touches on it right there, she can't feel it because I think we damaged some nerves. And so, that's my fight story. <laughs> Don't mess with me, wife. I'll knock you down to the ground. But today, we are finishing our five-week series called Fight Right. And it's subtitled, Resolving Everyday Conflict. And there's some key words that I'd like to point out in the series before we get started. Number one, fighting right, because obviously there's probably a way to fight wrong. I know I'm really good at fighting wrong. And resolving conflict, because we need to not leave conflict hanging, not fanning the flame of conflict, not making it work worse, but actually resolving that conflict. Because wouldn't you agree that your life is so much better living with resolved conflict than unresolved conflict? And to be able to live in peace with one another instead of tension. And thankfully, there is a way. 
And so today we're going to be continuing to look at some passages found in the Bible about how the writers of Scripture say we should address conflict and how Jesus says we should address conflict with one another because after all, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And if we want to live in peace with one another, we should probably listen to the Prince of Peace. And so if you're just joining us today for the first time, again, we are super glad you're here. Today's a great, a great way to start, a great time to start. And you too can be part of our conversation as we dive into this topic, because we're not perfect. That's why we, the church, are talking about it. But we hope that you can also walk out of here today with some tools in handling some conflict that you might be living with. But conflict is everywhere. It's everywhere. We live with it. We wake up to it every day. It's on the news. It's all over the world. It's in our schools between students, between teachers, between students and teachers. It's in our workplaces. About 10 years ago um, at a previous employer, I remember walking down the hallway and there were some, uh, a whole, just a whole row of offices. And these two gals walked out of their office at the same time and toward each other and almost smacked into each other. And one of the ladies says to the other, girl, you better watch yourself before I drop yourself. And I thought, I think they might have something against one another. But it's in our workplaces. You see it all the time. It's in our homes for our children. When they wake up, they come out of their room, and the moment they make eye contact, conflict, right? We, those of you who have children know what we're talking about there. Between married couples, spouse makes a big decision without the other, conflict. Wife comes home with the wrong cottage cheese, conflict. Not saying that's happened in my life. It's in our relationships. Pastor Andy gave a great message last week about conflict between great friends. But conflict is everywhere. And although we've gotten used to living with this conflict, if we don't deal with it, if we don't handle it, if we, if we don't figure out how to fight right, then it can cause us to lose that close friendship. It can cause us a divorce. Cause us to lose some of our children. And if not handled in the right way, it can end up destroying our entire life. And some of you in here probably have experienced that already and wish you could go back and fix it. But that's why we're talking about this, because there is a better way. There is a right way to handle relational conflict, big and small. And so we want to set the stage for handling conflicts that are taking place right now, conflicts that are taking place in the future, and conflicts that have taken place in the past. And I say conflicts in the future because somebody is going to say something to you. Somebody's going to hurt your feelings. Somebody's going to offend you. Your neighbor's going to blow his leaves in your yard again. It's going to happen in the future, I promise. But also conflicts from the past and present because, listen here, most people are probably dealing with some form of unreconciled relationship right now. If that's you, you already probably know what I'm talking about. And you probably already know who I'm talking about. Maybe you're remembering some words that someone last said to you and they just keep replaying in your mind. And you're in conflict with that person. Maybe there's a person that you haven't talked to for years and they're just living in your mind. You think about them all the time. Maybe you have caused hurt in somebody else's life and you know that you need to go and restore that and redress it. But you just haven't yet. But because of this unresolved tension with this person, it's affecting your everyday life. And you're living with so much turmoil, and you might be even losing sleep over it. But whatever the case is, whatever the conflict, whatever the person, 
God wants to work with you in that relationship. He does. And God wants to work with you and them in that relationship, with that conflict, with that tension. I have a question for you. Is anyone kind of already hanging out in your brain as I'm talking about conflict with somebody else? Is anyone kind of right there? Maybe a, a friend? Could be a coworker, a brother, a sister, or a spouse? Is anyone kind of living there? And, I, and if so, if, someone, if someone's popping into your brain, would you do something for me with that person? And I want you to imagine that person walking out here on the stage and sitting in one of these two chairs. Who's sitting in that chair? And the second question is, what is at the center of the conflict between the two? What's at the center of the conflict between you two? Earlier in this series, we discovered that oftentimes the conflict doesn't lie with that person, but within us. And we spent time looking at a passage in the book of James that addressed this very issue when James said, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? And that was a hard week because if you're a normal person, and I bet 95% of people in here are normal people, you won't want to be at fault for anything. And we walked about, we walked, talked through how our desires can turn into idols, and if left unchecked, these idols can be at the center of all of your conflicts. But if we can do something about them, if we can work to identify them, then we can finally resolve the conflict within us. And this person probably can walk out of here without even talking about it. But there are times when the other person really is at fault, when they really did offend you, when they really did hurt you. And so what do we do then? Well, we answered this question about two weeks ago, and that in these moments, to begin to resolve that hurt or offense, we have to go confront the other person and let them know that they did hurt or offend us. And sometimes they're aware, sometimes they aren't. But it's important that we first make sure that we own up to our own contribution first and own that 100% of our 2% before we do have that conversation. But most conflicts can be resolved by having a simple conversation if you do them right. But what happens when you have a truly difficult neighbor? What happens when you have a truly difficult co-worker or a difficult family member? What about these people? What about these people? What about the person who is still being unkind, still being unfair, still picking on you, still pointing the finger at you, still bringing up the past, still blowing his leaves in your yard, but you can honestly say that you have done everything you can? What do we do then? Well, the good thing is, this problem is not new. You're not alone in your situation. Sometimes we strive for peace and reconciliation, but the other party is simply unwilling to reconcile. What do we do then? People have been talking about this for thousands of years, and we've been dealing with stubborn people like this for thousands of years. And so just like any problem that we, the church, need to solve... We're going to take a look at what the writers of Scripture say about how to handle conflict in these situations. And so I'm going to take you back to about 3,400 years ago to get the answer to this never-ending problem. Are you ready for the answer? If you're ready, say, I'm ready. 
That's good. And I promise you're going to like it. And it's very easy. It's so easy. Like, I just love this, love this passage. Here it is. Anyone who injures their neighbor is to be injured in the same manner. It gets better. Fracture for fracture, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. Like, this is some good stuff. Like, I love this stuff. And here's it. The one who has inflicted injury must suffer the same injury. I told you you'd like it. Some people are kind of uncomfortable, like, I can't believe he's talking about this. But, hey, it's in the Bible. It's a rule we can follow. If she calls you names, call her names back. If he gossips about you, gossip about him back. If their dog keeps pooping in your yard, take your dog over there, throw it in your yard, and let it do its business in theirs. And if you don't have a dog, get creative. I don't know. The point is to get even. Speaking of neighbors, I've never done that. <laughs> About 13 years ago, I got into a little fight with my neighbor uh, during the wintertime. Uh, every time it would snow, he'd be the first person out on the, in the driveway to start blowing off his driveway, get the snow off. But he wouldn't blow it off to the sides, he'd blow it right onto the street. And unfortunately, my driveway is right across the street from his, and so when his snow is on the street, I can't get out. And so I became very frustrated with this whole thing. And I'd peer out my blinds and just boil. And my wife would come in like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm staring at the neighbor, and I'm just angry looking at him. And she's like, well, have you ever gone out there and asked him not to do that? And I'm like, no. What man needs to go have that conversation? He knows better. And she's like, well, I would start there. I don't know. And then she walks off. <laughs> Maybe she wants to fight him. I don't know. And, and so I'm like, okay. So I went and had the conversation. He's like, you know, the words were not that easy for me to do and with him. And we just weren't getting along at that time. And so I went back inside, and the next time it snowed, psh, I watched him blow a snow on the street again. And I boiled. I'm like, all right, this is it. 3,400 years ago, I'm going to live by that tooth-for-tooth tooth rule. Here we go. And so I'd go out there with my snowblower, and I'd just blow it right back into his driveway and just leave this huge pile. And that went back and forth, back and forth for probably a couple of years. And we didn't say anything to each other for the longest time. And then one day, there was too much snow for my little snowblower, so I called up my friend to come help me. And I won't mention who his name is. It rhymes with at Manderson. And here's his picture. He's not the short guy. That's really short looking right there. But anyway, it's crazy. And so to fight right, an eye for an eye? Wrong. But that's the big temptation, take matters into our own hands. Well, I tried. I tried it all. I tried God's way, but that didn't work, so I'm going to now play their game. And the conflict never ends, and the relationship only grows farther and farther apart, and the problem gets worse and worse and worse. For those who are living in that way, Jesus actually addressed that passage later and you can read that about it in Matthew chapter 5. But sadly, many people are living like that. And they are getting even. But we are called to live differently. We are called to fight differently. And we are called to approach conflict differently. So then what do we do? What do we do about it if we can't get even? Because that's what the temptation is. What do we do? Well, back during the time of Jesus, there was a man named Paul, and Paul wrote a lot of letters 
to both individual people and churches all over this uh, geographic area called the Apostle Paul. And these letters that he wrote later became books of what we now have as the New Testament in the Bible. And when writing to a church in Corinth, a place, a city out in somewhere in Asia, I don't know my geography anymore, just over there somewhere. But he wrote to this church in Corinth that though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. Though we live in the world, we, not, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. Now here, the Apostle Paul is saying that there are two different ways to fight. There's the way the world fights, and there's the way that we fight. And he also talks about weapons. There's weapons that we fight with, and there's weapons that the world fights with. And when applying this idea to what he wrote to the church in Corinth to our relational conflicts, what do you think the weapons are that the world uses against each other? Silent treatments? Slander? Go gossip about it instead? Cursing? Lawsuits? Demanding justice? We see that all the time on the news forcing people to resign their roles, demanding justice, getting even, getting revenge. But Paul is saying, no, we don't fight like that. That's how the world fights, and it never ends pretty, ever. It only makes things worse, but you are called to fight differently. You are called to use a different method, a different weapon. He says, when you feel that temptation to get even, no, do not repay anyone for evil. I know it's tempting. I know what's inside you. I understand that feeling, but it doesn't work. When you feel that temptation to play their game, Paul says, no, do not take revenge, my dear friends. It goes nowhere, and it only makes things worse. Trust me in this. And then we're left with, well, then what do we do? Because we've tried it all. What do we do? And Paul continues, he says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with good. Guys, this is your weapon. You can't overcome evil by getting even. You can't overcome evil by getting revenge. And you can't overcome evil by using the same weapons being used against you. But you can overcome evil with good. Well, how do we do that? Because that sounds great and all, but how do we actually do that? What does that look like practically? Well, I want to give us three weapons that you can actually use when dealing with that stubborn person in your life. And I'm not talking about military tanks or machine guns, because if you're using those to fight, you should probably be in jail. But you can actually apply these uh, weapons in any situation. It doesn't have to be the last thing that you try. It should be almost the first thing that you try. But these three things are very difficult, and they are very unnatural, and they are very countercultural. But these three things are how we're called to fight and how we can finally overcome evil with good. Weapon number one. And this might be a little difficult, but to come 
to overcome evil with good, you must pray for that other person. Some people might think, well, that kind of sounds easy. Trust me, when you get to that moment where you actually have to pray for that person, it gets a little bit tough. But when Jesus was giving what's now called the Sermon on the Mount, he addressed this same thing. He said, you have heard that it was said to hate your enemy, which is what we sometimes do, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. These are words of Jesus. And so I think about that person that you might have in that chair in your mind, You pray for them, but not just pray in general. Pray specifically that God transforms their heart in this situation with you. And trust me, he will. But why do we pray for them? Well, what actually transforms the heart of another person? It's not you. It's not me. We can't do that. It's not revenge. That doesn't work. Only God can change their heart. And this is how you should feel about the situation. You should pray about it. And it should also give you peace because you're like, I can't do this on my own. Here you go, God. This is your problem now. And you've done all that you can. And God takes over. It's now in his hands. Another important thing about praying is this also helps you recognize your own limitations in the matter. Because it's not your job to change them. Your job is to honor God by giving the situation to him. It's God's job to change the heart of that person. And like I've said before, God wants you to reconcile that relationship with that other person, and he wants to help you do that. So thinking about your person that might be sitting in this chair, have you been praying for them? Weapon number two, this one is a a little bit harder than the first one, and it's almost like a little bit of a continuation of prayer. And here's what that means. To, come o- to overcome evil with good, we must bless the other person. Again, Paul is quoting some words of Jesus, and he said, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Our temptation and natural response is to curse those who are mistreating us. It's natural. Or we might want to go and slander them and gossip about them and tear them down and wish bad things for them. When something bad happens in their life, we kind of like it. That's what it means to curse someone else. There's going to be so many opportunities to go on the offense and attack that other person, but we are called to bless them and not curse them. We speak life over them. We build them up. We pray for a blessing over their life. We don't know what's going on in their life. We don't know why they're being a stubborn person. God does. And so we pray that God help them in that situation, whatever it might be, and we start praying blessing over their life and good things over their life. But more importantly, when we bless and do not curse, we also protect our own hearts. And this is where it's difficult. We protect our own hearts, and we keep our own hearts from becoming infected with bitterness and jealousy and anger, and resentment, and so blessing them helps us stay in the right heart position. And this is important. But in regard to the person that you might have sitting in that chair, have you been cursing them or blessing them? And weapon number three, this is probably the most difficult of the three, but this is also what I would call the ultimate weapon 
when you're in battle with that person. To overcome evil with good, we must love the other person. We must love them. And it's really hard because we really don't feel like it. But we must love them. When the other person is being difficult, when your friend try, uh, keeps talking about you behind your back, when your neighbor keeps doing that same thing, remember the big temptation to do it back. The Apostle Paul says, nope. It's one of my favorite words, nope. Paul says, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Why would I do that? He's my enemy. I want him to starve. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. This is difficult stuff. We don't fight fire with fire. We don't fight hate with hate. And we don't fight slander with slander. We fight back with love. By meeting their practical needs. By bringing them a meal or groceries when, they, when we see that they're going through a difficult time. Mowing their yard if we know that they are sick. Getting their lunch. Bringing them coffee maybe with a note or something that says, Hey, I know you're having a hard day today. Just thought I'd bring this to you. Or, hey, was thinking about you on my way to work. Here's some coffee. Speaking words of encouragement about them in front of the rest of the coworkers during a meeting. That's powerful. And here's the thing. In doing this, Paul continues, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, what the heck does that mean? Because this sounds really good. We got that enemy you're starting to think about those hot coals and you're able to burn that person's forehead. I mean, like, this stuff is, let's do this. Now I'm with you, right? What does that mean? Because I like that part. Here's the deal. Unexpected, undeserved love can break down even the most stubborn heart. Because nothing makes us feel more shame and embarrassed by our actions than someone reacting to our hurtful behavior with kindness and love. And kindness in the face of unkindness starts to mess with our minds and leads us to asking, like, why would this person do that when I've been treating them so bad? Why, this is just burning my brain. Why would they do that? That's what it means to heat burning coals on the other person's head. But here's the key. The goal in doing these things isn't to embarrass them or get the last word because now your heart's in the wrong spot again. It's to help them facilitate repentance in that person and you and to get to conflict resolution with the ultimate purpose of relational reconciliation. That's why we do that. That's why we love. Back with my neighbor and the snow issue, I do want to let my friend Matt off the hook. He actually didn't come over. Um, he's probably a better Christian than I am, better follower of Christ, I don't know. Um, but I remember one time thinking, you know what, what I'm doing isn't working. Repaying him by what he's doing to me, and he doesn't even, he's not even knowing why he's doing it. He's putting on the street because the plow is going to come through, so he's not an evil guy, he's not a stubborn guy. But one day when it snowed, I did this for my own benefit, I went and I got all the snow off his driveway one time before he could do it. And here's the greatest thing about that. He has never put his snow on the street ever again, and I've never had to say it ever again. All because I did his driveway, right? Fingers crossed. <laughs> but in regard to the person that you have sitting in one of these chairs, that person that might be floating around in your mind, how have you been showing them love? 
How have you been doing that? Or what ways can you show this person love? Here's the deal, and this is the main point for today. To fight right, we overcome evil with good. And how do we overcome evil with good? By praying, by blessing, and by loving the other person. As we close out this series, we wanted to take the opportunity to dress something every single week. And I want to do the same thing today. Um, and that's for people that might be living in a situation where you are being abused because that is a terrible conflict. That thing is, that's crazy. If that's you, whether it's physical abuse, verbal abuse, sexual abuse, don't stay there. Don't stay there. You've got to tell somebody. The lie of the enemy is he wants you to stay there. He wants you to be fearful of actually telling somebody, but nobody can help you if you don't say anything. And I invite you to tell any one of our paid staff, anybody else that you know within the church, and we'll help you uh, get out of that situation because you shouldn't stay in that relationship. And so it's very important not to stay there. And if you know someone that's dealing with that, help them get help. Okay? And now for all of us in here, I want you to think about the person that you have sitting in that chair. And I have a question. What step is God calling you to take? Because he wants to work with you in that relationship. What step is God calling you to take? Maybe you need to have that conversation. Maybe you need to own up to your contribution. Maybe you need to go and apologize to that person. Maybe you, be, you need to begin praying and blessing and loving that person. What step is God nudging you to take? Let's pray. God, this is a difficult conversation, a difficult topic, uh, because we're around people every day, and all the people that we're around every day, we can be in conflict with. And if we don't do anything about those conflicts, it can ruin our relationships but you have a better way for us, and you want to work with us in all these relationships. And so, God, I pray as our church and the people who are joining us here today, um, I pray as, as you help them contemplate what next step they need to take in this relationship, that they have the boldness to do so, and that they do it quickly. And we pray a blessing over their life and that relationship. In Jesus' name, amen.